the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. He wanted them to know that uh, he would come the blaze of glory. And so he says in verse 27 of Matthew 16, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Jesus makes that statement. And then he made a statement that has puzzled people for years. Truly, at verse 28, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus told his disciples that some of them would not experience death until they saw him coming in his kingdom. But folks, that was 2,000 years ago. All those men are dead. Jesus still hasn't come back. So what did Jesus mean by this? Some people claim that that statement by Jesus had to be wrong. Those men did not see Jesus return. But if they would just read the book of Revelation, they'd know that John did see Jesus return. And there's something else to consider, which we'll hear about today on Verse by Verse. Welcome. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our study is in 2 Peter, chapter 1, where Peter is helping us to resist false teachers as he addresses one particular heresy, the one that says Jesus is not coming back. Believers were hearing accusations that Peter had lied about Jesus coming back, and Peter met it head on. So let's listen as Pastor Steve wraps up this message we began a couple of days ago. Let me ask you a question. How do we know that Peter didn't invent the return of Christ? How do we know that? How do we know that the story of, of our Lord's return was not some apostolic invention or to keep us in line? You know, listen, you better be good boys and good girls because... The king is coming again, and you don't want to get in trouble. How do we know that that's not what they were doing? Well, we do know that. We do know that that's not what they were doing. We do know that that he's absolutely coming again, and that Peter is just faithfully telling us what Jesus told him. How do we know that? Because in verse 16, Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We actually saw it. We saw something of the second coming of Christ. Peter claims that he and the apostles actually witnessed with their eyes Christ's glorious appearance at the time of his second coming. He called it the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Better translated, Christ coming in power or his powerful coming. That's, that's the thought here. Peter claims that, that he didn't make up anything. He actually saw it. Now, let's think about that. How could that be? Peter is long gone and Jesus has not returned yet. How could Peter claim that he actually witnessed the coming of Christ in, in power and the, and the glory. After all, Peter was with Jesus for three years. And in those three years, uh, Jesus was in what theologians call the state of his humiliation. That is, he uh, appeared and was a poor Jewish man. 
there was nothing, if you, if you and I were to be transported back 2,000 years, there would be nothing physically impressive about Christ. Small Jewish man fitting in with all the others. In fact, how do we know that? Because Isaiah 53 says that there was nothing in his appearance that would attract us. No, no comeliness. He, he didn't come across as one who was head and shoulders above anybody else. Just looked like a common Jewish man. And how could Peter then have witnessed Christ's glorious appearance at his second coming? Well, there was one time, one time alone during his lifetime that Peter did witness his glorious second coming appearance. And I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. This is the story of the what's known as the transfiguration of Christ. In verse 21, Jesus, and we're not going to read all of these verses, but in verse 21, Jesus uh, began to tell his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem. He was going to suffer. He was going to die. And uh, they knew what he was talking about, though they didn't want to accept it. Now, they didn't understand the full impact of his death. They didn't understand at this point why he had to die and the substitutionary atonement. And that's why Peter rebuked him. And, and Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. And so that's the context here. So Jesus understood certainly that um, that his disciples were um, greeted this news with uh, with feelings of discouragement. So he, he gave them a word to encourage them about his coming. He didn't want them to think that, uh, that the future only held suffering and pain for him. He wanted them to know that uh, he would come, the blaze of glory. And so he says in verse 27 of Matthew 16, but the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Jesus makes that statement. And then he made a statement that has puzzled people for years. Truly, verse 28, truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus told his disciples that some of them would not experience death until they saw him coming in his kingdom. But folks, that was 2,000 years ago. All those men are dead. Jesus still hasn't come back. So what did Jesus mean by this? So I could tell you right now, the Jesus seminar people would say he was wrong. Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. They would say it was foolish to make a promise like this. In fact, they would say he never made this promise. Somebody said he made this promise. That's, That's what they would say. Well, the Jesus seminar may conclude that. However, there was a man there who heard Christ's words named Matthew. Matthew wrote down what Jesus meant. Matthew, who was, who was an eyewitness and heard these, uh, is a lot closer to the action than some liberal theologians 2,000 years later. And Matthew tells us exactly what Jesus meant. We move on to chapter 17. There really is no break in the action here, at least in terms of, of what Matthew is saying. Verse, seven, uh, verse 1 of chapter 17. Six days later, meaning six days after this promise was given, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a, high, on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Six days after Jesus promised that some of the apostles wouldn't die until they saw him coming in his kingdom, he took three of them, Peter, James, and John, with him up to a a high mountain. We don't know what mountain that is. If you go to Israel, tour guides will point out Mount Tabor. But I looked at Mount Tabor, and I don't think that's real high. So I don't, I don't know that that was the place. But the reason he took these three up on a high mountain, as verse 2 tells us, is that he was transfigured before them. Now, what does that mean? 
It, it means that his physical form or appearance changed right before them. By his appearance, Jesus gave these men a glimpse of his divine glory. He gave them a preview of what it will be like when he comes, watch this, when he comes again to set up his kingdom. His face shone like the sun, and even his clothes became, it says, as white as light. And what was happening? For 33 years, Jesus had veiled his glory, veiled that Shekinah glory as he, he physically appeared to be just another, as I said, just another human being. And he was a, a, another human being, but he was not an ordinary human being. He was also God. And on this occasion, he revealed something of the intrinsic Shekinah glory by manifesting the very same glory that will be clear to all when, when he comes again at his second coming to establish his kingdom. In other words, Jesus was giving these apostles a preview, a foretaste of his appearance at his second coming. That's what he was doing. And that's what Peter is saying in his second letter. He says, we were eyewitnesses along with, with James and John of Christ's second coming glory. He's not saying that I, I'm, I can tell you that I saw him establish his kingdom. That would be stupid to say that. It wasn't established yet. But what he is saying is I saw him in his splendor. I saw his appearance that, that, will, that he'll be like when he comes again. I saw him in his kingly splendor, a glimpse of his appearance when he comes in power to establish his, his kingdom. Now, Matthew goes on to tell us something else that took place beyond the glorious appearance of Christ. Notice verses 3 through 5. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, miraculously, Moses and Elijah appeared on this high mountain talking with Jesus. What were they talking about? Wouldn't you like to know? You can know that because Luke tells us. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 9, they were talking about his upcoming death. They were talking about it. And that may very well be the reason that, uh, that Moses was there with Elijah. Moses representing the law, and the law spoke of the coming of Messiah. And Elijah representing the prophets, and the prophets spoke of the coming of Messiah. So you have the law and the prophets represented there, and they were discussing his upcoming death. And then Peter got the bright notion, and bless his heart, he meant well, to build tents for them. He said, I'll, I'll build three of them, and one for you, Lord, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It's a nice nice thought, but it wasn't what God wanted to, uh, to take place. God the Father didn't want Peter talking at this strategic time. He wanted him to listen to Jesus, and so he overshadowed them with the cloud, spoke out of that cloud, affirming Christ's deity and telling them to listen to Jesus. Peter, you be quiet. Listen to my son. So that's what has taken place. Now, as we go back to 2 Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, we can better now understand that uh, this was Christ's second coming appearance that Peter said he was an eyewitness to. He saw it. That's why verses 17 and 18 say for, say, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him that by the majestic glory. Isn't that a great way of putting it? God the Father is the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, which is in essence saying this is God. This is God the Son. And we ourselves, Peter said, we heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Not only did Peter, not only was Peter an eyewitness, he was an ear witness, if you could, if you could put it that way. He not only saw 
his second coming glory, but he heard the Father's majestic voice. So that's what Peter is talking about. Now, keep in mind Peter's point in all of this. Why did he bring up this experience? It's because the false teachers of his day denied Christ's return and confused the believers. So Peter is assuring them that Christ is coming again, and he's coming again. We know this because Peter says, I can testify that uh, that I heard it, I saw it, and two other men were with me, and they saw it. And John wrote about it. John said, we beheld his glory, the glorious of the only begotten of the Father. James didn't write about it because James uh, died. James was the first apostle to die. The James you have in the New Testament, the book of James, is a different James than the one who was on that high mountain. So Peter says, listen, we saw it. And and uh, that's what gives credibility to what we have to say as opposed to the false teachers. They don't know what they're talking about. We saw it. I was an eyewitness. I was there. Now, how does this apply to us? How do we How do we apply this? Well, one reason that you and I know that Christ is coming again and that he is exactly who he claimed to be, is that we have an eyewitness account of someone who saw a preview of his second coming glory. We choose to believe that Peter is telling us the truth. You know, the scripture says by two or three witnesses, every everything is confirmed. We have three witnesses here, and, and it's confirmed. Those, uh, those who teach you error always remove themselves from apostolic doctrine. We never want to remove ourselves from apostolic doctrine. We have nothing new to teach. I simply go back to what Peter said. I stir you up by way of reminder. I tell you the things that the apostles said. The early church continued in the apostles' doctrine. And that's what we do. You and I never need to be confused about who we should believe. Unbelieving theologians who, though 2,000 years removed from the events of Christ's ministry, sit in and actually judge the New Testament, and they feel qualified to tell us that Jesus was wrong about promising to return. And there are many who are like that. Do we believe them? I mean, think about that, the the absurdity of it. They're 2,000 years removed, but they're going to go back and they're going to figure out through, it just seems to me absurd, scientific writing analysis. They're going to go back and tell you which Jesus really said and what he didn't and all that. Or we can believe Peter, who though a simple fisherman was there. And I should say not that simple. A fisherman was there. And he saw his glory with his, with his own eyes. Listen, let me tell you something about false teachers. False teachers always appeal to, to an authority outside of the word of God, or they add to it. No matter what false teaching is out there or, or what cult, no matter what category you want to put it under, there's always some authority other than the Bible. It can be tradition, they can appeal to that. It can be uh, the Pope's teaching. He sits at uh, Vatican and, and tells uh, millions of people what to believe. It can be uh, new or extra uh, revelation. It can be subjectivism. It can be just very, you know, I feel it in myself. Or it can be my own authority. My own mind tells me this. It's, it's always an appeal to something outside of the Bible. And what we need to do is to make sure that we don't go outside of the Bible. We believe the eyewitness accounts of what we have and what's been permanently preserved for us. You see, what makes Christianity so credible is that our faith rests solidly upon historical facts, not fairy tales. Facts which were observed by the apostles and recorded in the New Testament. And Peter says that the words of the apostles are on the same level as the words of the prophets. In fact, let me show you that in Second Peter chapter 3. He says in verse 1, 
This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. The New Testament is on the same level as the Old Testament. And how did they speak in the Old Testament? Men moved by the Spirit of God spoke from God. Now, how do we know Peter remembered all these facts? How do we know that, that he just, you know, he's an old man, maybe he's getting a little senile. How do we know this? Well, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 14. This is just some help for you to, to know that uh, what we have in, is the word of God. This is really an issue about, uh, yes, it's the second coming, but it's also about authority. How do we know what we believe is, is right? John chapter 14, Jesus gave his apostles some wonderful promises. And, and by way of application, there's some truth for us, at least in this promise, but it's primarily to the apostles. John 14, verse 26, Jesus said, but the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. How did Peter and these other men, as they got older, remember that? I mean, I can't even remember some things that happened yesterday. How did they remember things that happened years and years ago? Because the Holy Spirit not only taught them, but he brought to their remembrance what Christ said to them and guided them in writing it down. We're not through, though. John 16. Notice verses 12 and 13. This is, this is a promise of revelation as well as inspiration. John 16, 12 and 13 Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So Christ was not finished revealing truth to them. But he was going to be arrested that night. So what, what takes place in the future, he says in verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He'll be the one who will guide you. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you. Watch this. What is to come? There's so much about prophecy that Jesus never revealed to his disciples, but the, but the Holy Spirit would do that. So this is a promise that the New Testament uh, writers were inspired. They spoke from God. And Peter is simply saying that what he has to say is absolutely authoritative, not the false teachers. So Jesus is coming again, and, is, and he's coming again to punish sin and to establish his kingdom on earth. The question is, are you ready to face him as judge? We either face him as judge or we trust that when he died on the cross, it was a judgment for our sins. And we don't have to face him as judge because he was judged in our place. You see, the real reason, and, and I've said this before, but let me just reiterate it to stir you up by way of remembrance. That's going to be my new line now. I'm stirring you up. It's biblical. Let's look at Second Peter 3 again. The real reason behind unbelief has nothing to do with scholarship and uh, academics. The real reason is found at the end of verse 3 of chapter 3, where Peter says, know this first of all, in the last days mockers will come with their mocking. And then he says, following after their own lust. That's, a, that's an important phrase. That is to say that um, these, these folks have another agenda. They don't reject the second coming of Christ based on scholarship or new discoveries or, or anything of that nature, but their rejection is born out of their own desires, their own lusts. That's what determines their theology of the, uh, of the return of Christ. They simply don't want to live with the thought that there is a mighty king coming someday that they're answerable to, 
and that someday they're going to have to stand before him. They want to live the way they want to live without being accountable to the Lord. And so they scoff at the thought of the Lord returning to deal with their sin and establish a kingdom of righteousness. And they, I guess they think that if they scoff enough, uh, they'll really believe it. And others will be swept into their unbelief. That's Sin is always what's behind hardened unbelief. It, it's not true scholarship. It's not an open mind. It's not new evidence. It's not the latest discovery. Unbelief always has with it another agenda. So understand that. Now, you and I were not with Peter on the mountain that day. We've never seen Christ's face or his garments shine, but that's why Peter permanently recorded it for us in the word of God, and that's what we cling to. Whom having never seen him, Peter says, we love. When we're tempted to doubt, and all of us at times are tempted to doubt, there are times we wonder, have have, have we just been deceived? Have we, have we given our lives to something that's not true? Listen, when you get those satanic doubts, you cling and go back to the word of God. There was an eyewitness who saw it and told us about it. Let's bow for prayer. If Jesus were to come today, would you be ready? You can be by trusting, trusting him alone for your salvation. You don't need to be judged for your sins. One was already judged in your place. If you are a believer, then you need to let Peter refresh your memory by stirring you up to live in the light of his promise to return. Get back to the word of God. Let it stir your heart. Don't just read the Bible in a mechanical way or store information, but let it stir you up. Let it awaken you with a freshness and a vitality. I'll give you a few moments to speak to the Lord, and then I'll close in prayer. Father, thank you that Jesus is coming again, and we can know that. Lord, how exciting to think that someday life, is, as we know it, will be over, and we, as your chosen, elect, redeemed people, will be in your presence. And that someday, Lord, you'll right every wrong, and all the injustice that's been done will be dealt with. Lord, we do say with the Apostle John, even so, come, Lord, Lord Jesus. And I realize, Lord, that every generation of Christians have said that, and rightfully so. Help us to live in the light of, of the truth that you're coming again. Help us to not be uh, in any way confused or doubtful of your return, but to be stronger than ever about it. Lord, we thank you that Peter was there. He heard the majestic voice of the Father, something we've, we've never heard uh, with our ears. And he saw with his own eyes your Shekinah glory. Lord, we've, we've not seen that except in the pages of Scripture, but we, we trust that, that uh, Peter was telling us the truth, and we know that, uh, that you inspired him to write these down, these truths down. And so, Lord, we cling to the words of the apostles just as we cling to the words of the prophets. And so, Father, we pray that uh, our authority as a church body, as individuals at Lakeside, will always be the word of God. May we never uh, deviate from that authority. For men moved by the Spirit of God spoke from you. We pray that you'll draw to yourself those who need Christ and those who know him, Lord. May we be stirred to, to live in the light of your coming for us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. How about you? Are you ready for Jesus to return? The Bible says it'll happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and without warning. 
So if God is tugging at you, don't resist him. For all we know, tomorrow could be too late. If you'd like help with that decision, I'll have the phone number for you in a few seconds. First, though, let me say thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like directions and service times, or if you need help knowing how you can be sure you're ready for Jesus to return, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. You can also request a free audio CD with the entire sermon we just finished. Ask for message 4806, The Power and Coming of Our Lord Jesus Christ, Part 1. The number again is 727-441-1714. Discover more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. And here's another listening resource. You can hear any of our previous broadcasts via the message archive page at versebyverseradio.org. There's no charge for these files, and we hope you'll take advantage of them not only by listening, but by sharing the link with friends who might benefit from it. We also have a giving page to make it easy for you to help support Verse by Verse if you'd like to do that. We can't do this without the generous help of our listeners, so thank you for your prayers and gifts. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson inviting you to join us for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve begins his concluding message in this series. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's If you're concerned about the state of Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.